Welcome to the School of Healing, a podcast brought to you by Move and Still. I'm your host and guide, Dominice Clifton. This podcast is for entrepreneurs and working professionals that are seeking a new way. For years, you've tried to follow the programming and rules of the world, but you still find yourself burned out, unfulfilled, and questioning the deeper meaning behind life. The School of Healing is designed to help you live more aligned and authentically, instead of chasing external expectations or trying to make yourself fit into a box. Each episode is created to help you shed, decondition, and release all of the things that you've been told to be that are no longer serving you. This journey is about remembering. You don't have anything more to heal. You just have to stand in the knowingness that you are already healed and remind other people of this truth as you enjoy your life. Life is meant to be full. I am so glad you answered your soul's calling and I am so glad you are here. Now let's grow and evolve together so that we make the most out of this beautiful lifetime. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of The School of Healing. I'm so thankful for you all to be coming back. For anyone that's new to the show, thank you for being here. I am here today with a guest that I'm really excited about speaking with. We had a conversation. I had the opportunity of being on her podcast, and so now she's here with me. So I'm here today with Jessica Gershman, and Jessica is the voice behind the Zen-ish Mommy podcast, as well as a passionate believer in the power of self-care. Through her work as a certified yoga instructor and accomplished home chef and a dedicated mindfulness practitioner, she creates a place where moms can slow down, be authentic, and take the me time without guilt. So Jessica, thank you for being here with me this evening. How are you feeling today? I'm hanging in there. I said it's a whole new world doing things when the sun goes down. I'm becoming <laughs> my own night owl tonight. Awesome. Well, I'm happy that we're here because the sun is down, just fully present being here with you today. And it's just going to be beautiful energy anyway. So we're going to start with round of rapid fire questions. And I love to do this with guests because it just loosens up the energy. So there are five questions and it's whatever phrase or first thought comes to mind. So first one is what's the most interesting thing that you have in your wallet or your purse? service dog registration card. Unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if your life were a story, what would it be titled? I was going to say Hot Mess Express was the first <laughs> thing that came to my mind, but I think it's authentic and I mm. just believe in the power of and right that we yeah. don't show up as any one thing that there's mm. this big, beautiful power in the and. I love that so much. So what habit would you say holds you back the most? I'm a doer. I really have to embrace my feminine side and be mm. the beer, just be the energy mm. and the nurturing side. I'm really good at the doing and I need to cut it out. Okay. We're going to have to come back to that one yes. because that is me too. And it's mm -hmm. funny because we're empowering women to slow down, but also this is our medicine as well. We um, have to listen mm -hmm. to our own yes. advice. I mean, it is easier to preach it than to do it. And I oh, get yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. for sure. Thank you for that one. I asked this question because I was on your website looking at all the food and getting hungry. And I was like, I got to ask a food question. What is one food that you would never want to give up? Oh, pasta. Even yeah. though I've had to move to gluten-free, which is slightly less enjoyable, mm -hmm. pasta is my jam. And I eat it at least once or twice a week. Nice. Okay. And then last question, your favorite way to nourish yourself? Really checking in with what I want, what I need in that moment. Sometimes it's 
speaking up for myself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's taking a break and meditating. Sometimes it's taking a walk. Sometimes it's just reaching out for a hug, which I'm not a really touchy feely person, but you know, I think just doing what I need Mm -hmm. in the moment. That one's so beautiful because it seems like such a small thing, but so many of us, like we don't do what we want as adults. We're so used to and conditioned to think that we have to do everything for everyone else and our needs come last. And so I love that you're like, whatever I need in the moment, you know what I mean? That's really beautiful. Thank you for that. That was fun. And now I feel like I know you a bit better. Okay, let's jump in. So Jessica, we know a little bit about you just from your bio and what I shared. And I know we've had a conversation. You are so passionate about guiding other women to nourish their minds and their bodies. What has your healing journey looked like for you? So you mentioned that you are naturally a doer versus a beer, but you are learning to slow down and you're teaching other people that. And so just talk a bit about your own journey and how your evolution, what it has taken for you to be where we are today. Yeah, sure. Thank you for that. I think insight comes from a lot of suffering that you really get to a point where it has to be bad enough that you want to make a change. And the blessing of motherhood was the catalyst for me to really take that step toward my own healing. I'd always been recovering perfectionist, but always a perfectionist, very put together on the outside, as you would imagine, as a cover up for all of my anxiety and feelings of worthlessness, right? That we can cover up with this very external looking forward facing image of ourselves that look like we have it all. I mean, I started my career at 19. I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars and going into boardrooms and buying million dollar shopping centers. And it looked like it was very glamorous. And I was drowning. I was suffering. I was very deep in my own self-destructive patterns. I suffered from bulimia, some substance abuse in my early 20s that all surrounded around a lot of deep mental suffering. I learned in yoga when I was blessed to start that after I had my daughter the first sutra, Yoga Chitta Vritti Narodaha, right? Which is five, 6,000 years old. Yoga calms the fluctuations of the mind. And that beautiful journey is what set me off to discovering a path of healing. I'd never been really into religion. I grew up, both my parents were hippies. So it wasn't something that I gravitated toward, uh, but yoga really became this source of connection to God, to something greater than myself. And that started me down a path of healing. And once you've experienced presence, experienced okayness, You've come to the other side, not saying that I don't have my own struggles and that I don't have ups and downs in life. But once you've had those moments of like, oh, wait, I am worthy. Mm -hmm. I am good enough. And you figured out some tools to kind of get you back there when you get off track. It's You want to shout it from the rooftop. You want to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been where you are. I've done the suffering thing. There is a better way. Life is so full of joy. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what I've been through. I mean, I've had all kinds of traumatic experiences with my family and things that I recovered from. And you looked at me, you wouldn't probably guess that Mm -hmm. I've been through all of these things. And then the people that know me are like, wow, I can't believe you can still have positive outlook or attitude after all the things that happened to you. And I think that's where the path of healing comes from. So many things that you shared resonated with me. So thank you for sharing so transparently. There was something that you said that stood out to me. And now I'm like, okay, this makes sense. So one of the words that I kept like seeing over and over on your website and your podcast was authenticity. And in sharing your story, you talked about just being a recovering perfectionist and appearing very put together, but feeling like a lot of anxiety and unworthiness on the inside and really hiding that for a long time. And that landed with me because I share often that was 
also a part of my own journey is I call it like masking up. I would put on my mask and I would go out and live my life and overachieve and all the things and people would applaud me and affirm me. And then I would come home and take the mask off and I would feel so unworthy. And it was like when the curtain closed, I would be hiding and not feeling what I was portraying really matched how I was feeling. And I was feeling so much of my own unworthiness. So that really landed. I'm sure that many people listening can either relate to that or might still be there. I had just existed that way and I hid it so well. I'm wondering what it looked like for you to begin to really start to live more authentic. You mentioned yoga. What did that journey look like for you? I think for me, like, and I will let you answer, it required just being honest and acknowledging where I was and like, I'm not okay. And being okay with saying that out loud because for so long, I just always had to be strong. So what was that journey like for you? Because I imagine that it wasn't easy. Yeah, so I always say it was my representative. I'm sending my representative and this Mm -hmm. kind of alter ego, if you will, this very put together person. And I think where it changed is I started to get to know myself. I mean, yoga was deeply impactful, but don't get it twisted that I did years and years and years of really intense therapy work and EMDR trauma work. And I started to get to know myself and I met little Jess and I started to create and feel a sense of compassion for myself, for little Jess and look back on moments in my life and look back on my experiences and not look at them with shame and guilt but look at them with compassion. And that started to shift my perspective. And once I was able to greet myself with compassion, I was able to understand who I was, why I got to where I am, why I do the things I do. And then once I could understand that, then I could start to make changes and become the person I wanted Mm -hmm. to become. So it was that kind of three-step process of forgiveness and compassion and then understanding really where I was. And I love yoga says, you know, it shows you your shadows, Mm -hmm. really starting to look at these character traits of myself, Mm -hmm. my reactions, my habit, the way that I handle stress and manage interpersonal relationships and start to look at the things that weren't so pretty with, again, that eye and that lens of compassion, and then start to make those very aware choices for change and become the person that I feel very authentic and proud, not without my flaws and not without still on that path of growth, but I'm proud of who I am and I'm proud of what I stand for. And even if it's just the ability to continue to try to be a better person and stay on that path. Yeah. I think what something from what you said again that like jumped out to me was the emotions of shame and guilt because I held those for so long and they were so just underlying in everything that I did. And one of the things, one of the ways that trauma shows up, it's very isolating. And so it makes us in our head think that no one will understand or I'm the only one that's dealing with this. And so we hold so much and we're afraid to be truth, share our truth and be authentic, even with a therapist sometimes because like we're afraid of being judged because we have so much shame and guilt. And I know for me, like you said, going back to young Dom and facing the shame and the guilt that I had buried away for so long. That was such an important part of the process. It was really hard to work through those things, but it was such a necessary part of moving forward. It was Brene Brown talks about how we can't selectively numb. So I was trying to numb away all the shame and all the guilt, but I was numbing so many other good emotions in the process, numbing the authentic version of myself. And so that resonates also because those emotions, I feel like they rode shotgun for a really long time. And it wasn't until I gathered up the courage to face them that I was able to like begin to work through them. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Oftentimes, we find that we have goals, but struggle with execution. Maybe you want to live healthier, but you have never put a plan in place, so you never reach your goals. Or maybe you dream of entrepreneurship and freedom, but you can never find the time necessary to execute your goals. Time keeps moving, 
and you stay busy and then you look up and you've spent yet another year living a life that you don't truly desire. We're only getting older, friend. A goal without a plan is just a wish. It's time to stop wishing and start executing your goals, sis. Whether you have a personal goal, like living a more balanced and fulfilling life, or a professional goal, like starting your side hustle and mapping out your transition plan, I'm here to guide you. We'll spend the next six months working side by side to map out and execute your customized action plan. You'll be able to define success on your own terms so you can hop off the hamster wheel of comparison. Own lane, own race, own pace. And the best part? You'll have ongoing accountability and support from me, so no more inaction or being held back by fear. Living the life of your dreams and choosing the path that sets your soul on fire requires clarity on your goals, facing your fears head on, and then executing on the plan. With me as your guide and God by our side, we must win. So if you're ready to take the next step to elevate your life, click the link in the show notes to schedule your free discovery call so that we can chat. Remember, you don't have to have the how figured out. You just have to have the courage to start. The universe will take care of the rest. And I think the majority of people, when we talk about our negative self-real, it generally resides around, I'm not worthy of love or I'm not good enough. And 100% of the people have experienced this, that we're not alone in our suffering. And I don't know if you experienced this as well, Don, but when I was teaching yoga, I taught from this place of like, if I'm going through something and I can share it, maybe that will resonate with someone else. Maybe it's something in my past that I'm able to share, or it's something I'm going through in the moment as a parent, as a step-parent, as in a marriage that I'm struggling with. And so we start to unveil or take that mask off. And then all of a sudden someone else is like, oh wait, me too. Or Mm. I experienced something similar. And people have done that for me in my life where people I looked up to and all of a sudden they took their mask off and I'm like, here I am and all my flaws. And it really empowering to not only be the recipient of someone's vulnerability, but then also to be vulnerable yourself. And I think that is such an important part of human connection. And when I was afraid to take off the mask, like it was impossible for me to be vulnerable and connect with people in that way because I wasn't willing to give all of myself. So I agree with that as well. So you shared just in your opening and I saw on your website that for many years you were very hypercritical of your body and that led to an eating disorder, which you held for over two decades. And that a part of your own journey was learning to reconnect with your body and really learning to accept your body. So when we have experienced trauma, we can oftentimes become disconnected from our bodies, which was my case also, but it showed up differently where I overate versus didn't eat. And I had a very unhealthy relationship with food for a long time. And I am wondering, I'm still on this journey of learning to love and accept my own body, but can you speak to what that experience was like for you and what was helpful for that process? Acknowledging that whether you're under eating or overeating, like it's just a coping mechanism. How did you learn to find new health your ways to cope and just what it felt like to be so disconnected from your body. Because oftentimes we don't even realize like how disconnected we are. And a part of finding your way back is reestablishing that relationship with your body as well. Yeah. I think the statistic, I have a good friend that's an eating disorder specialist is that 98% of people have disordered eating in some Mm -hmm. fashion, right? It may not be clinical diagnosed, anorexia, bulimia, or some kind of other eating disorder, but there's some skewed relationship with food, Mm -hmm. right? And I often connect 
my experience with eating disorders and the relationship with food, also that of an addict or an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. except the fact that we have to come and find a healthy relationship with food. You don't have to have a healthy relationship with Mm -hmm. drugs and alcohol, right? Unfortunately, if you're an addict, it's not a part of your life. But with food, you have to really create a healthy relationship. And it is so challenging. For me, when I had my daughter, I remember just crying and praying to God, please don't ever let her go through what Mm -hmm. I went through. My only prayer, because it was so isolating and so much suffering for so many years of just really hating yourself. For you, my mental chatter was so loud. And for me, I would go through these binge and purge cycles. It would be this sense of control, right? I can control what I put in my body or what I don't, but I was so out of control at that time. Going through that, I had to start getting okay. I thought, well, if I go to culinary school and I start to become passionate about food, it was very little steps over a really long period of time to just try to turn the dial down on the chatter, on Mm. the sound. And to say I'm sitting here today and I look at myself every day and be like, boom, I'm awesome would be a lot, (laughs) right? I say this at like, does yoga change your body or does yoga change the way you look at your body? When Mm. if you think about it, our perception is our reality. And I tell this to my daughter all the time. I'm like, you wake up one day and you're like, boom, I'm banging, I'm looking hot. It could be 30 minutes later and you're like, oh my God, I'm trash, you know, as nothing's changed except your perception. And so it was very small and incremental and daily of just trying to turn that down. Through yoga, I found an okayness for the first time of just, okay, I feel okay in my body right Mm -hmm. now. You know, then that led to dealing with uncovering what was behind my eating disorder, that sense of control in a very out of control world and healing trauma. And I talked to an empty chair to deal with all my parents and the relationships I had and trying to find some closure and some healing. I spent a lot of time at that. I had to Mm -hmm. talk about it out loud a lot and really take ownership. And that was the shame and guilt piece. And that even as I got into my early thirties, things would kick up. I don't believe in any kind of restricting now because it's just to me, backdoor eating disorder for me personally, it's very triggering. So we don't do diets. I don't do restricting. That's too close for comfort Mm -hmm. for me. But I had to tell my husband, I'm like, Hey, this is what's going on. Or I had a relapse. I had to own it. And that was Mm -hmm. really scary because I was ashamed and embarrassed. But even when you think about like an addict relapse as part of recovery, And the thing with eating disorders is I feel like you're in recovery. Mm -hmm. It never Mm -hmm. just goes away. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's not like you did just say goodbye and you got a clean scan and you're free and you're home, but it's that constant kind of journey. Mm -hmm. And I sit here today at 41 and the dial is pretty low, the chatter, not to say that it can't kick up, but I really have created a sense of tools and safeguards and ownership that when I start to get that feeling or when I don't feel good in my body, I'm like, okay, I've got to start talking about this out loud. I start to go into my toolbox, reach out to my therapist, reach out to a friend, talk about it, take that shame away. And that's been really helpful. And again, that will continue to be with me probably for the rest of my life. So two things stood out. The first thing is I agree what you said at the beginning, where when you look at coping mechanisms, such as maybe drugs or alcohol, those things are typically like shunned, right? You don't, they're looked down upon in a way. The challenge, I think, with food, whichever side of the scale that you're on, is that it's an accepted thing. We all have to eat to survive. And we typically like food is everywhere. It's celebration. We celebrate with food. And so I think sometimes that makes it harder because it's just such a part of like our everyday experience and not dealing with drugs or alcohol is any less challenging. But it's like you can put up a line with those things. I think that can be a little bit more challenging with 
food. And so I know for me, how you were saying, it's an ongoing process of the same way that you would be in recovery with drugs or alcohol. It's that same sort of relationship with food. And I agree with you. I have those moments where I'm dealing with emotions of I'm feeling like I want to overeat because I'm stressed. And I always have to like check myself and come back and like notice my emotions. And so I just wanted to point that out. And then also another thing that stood out with what you said is just acknowledging the mental and emotional piece that comes with that relationship with food. So when I used to be a nutrition and wellness coach for a couple of years, I worked with women and they would also oftentimes come to me and like want their meal plan or like their workout plan and all these things. And it would be such a focus on the physical body. And that for a long time, for much of my life was how I approached my relationship with food, where it was, I just focused on what do I need to eat or what do I need to cut? What diet do I need to go on? And I would always lose the weight, but the weight would always come back. And it was just this vicious cycle of like, just feeling I couldn't win. I wasn't in control of food. And the last time around a couple of years ago, I approached the relationship differently. And I focused on the mental, the emotional, like, why am I emotionally eating? And that made a big difference in the process. Like that was everything, acknowledging having to go through the healing process. And so I appreciate you for sharing that because I just want to kind of go over the symptoms. So I'm overeating. Let me change my diet and those sorts of things, but not really addressing like what is causing us to overeat or what is causing us to purge all of these things. And so just addressing that we do really have to get to the energy, like the emotions, the mental piece of it, I think is so important. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the outcome of whatever mental struggle that we're having is our coping mechanism, Mm -hmm. whether it's restricting or binging or overeating, or that is how we are satisfying a void. There is a void that we're trying to stuff full or not. If you're not eating it, the same thing with drugs and alcohol. It's a numbing out. I mean, food, Mm -hmm. we numb out with food. I mean, it's just the same thing. And I love what you said at the beginning. And I've said this time and time again, you don't get to choose what you numb out to. Numbing out is universal. It's the good, the bad, the ugly. And when we start to address that relationship with food, and it is, it's all around us. You have to eat to survive. It's go time. You don't have a choice whether or not to address a relationship with food. If you want to decrease the mental chatter, if you want to live a healthy life, if you want to feel good, I mean, you have to start working on that relationship. It'll change as we continue to age and evolve and body changes and could be on that perimenopause train help me. It's like, (laughs) there'll be constant changes of, well, I have to continue to evaluate my mental chatter. And I really think that check-in piece that we get from mindfulness, from yoga, from meditation, from breath work, somebody else has another way to get there. By all means, I'm listening. That's the only way I know how to do it is to be still. Yeah. Beautiful. That's a perfect segue to my next question. So let's talk about some of the tools, right? So one of the things that you are really passionate about is normalizing meditation and mindfulness for busy women, for busy mamas. And I think that there are a lot of misconceptions about meditation and it leaves people feeling like it doesn't work for them. Like I've tried this, it doesn't work, I'm not doing it right. And so then they can just give up on it. But for those listening that are new to meditation, new to the practice of mindfulness, as someone who has used this practice, this tool for a while, what advice would you offer for someone who's maybe just getting started when it comes to meditation? Yeah, I love this question because I really had to kind of super sleuth my way into Mm -hmm. a daily meditation practice to kind of trick myself into it. Because again, I'm good at the doing. So I could do the yoga. I was a cheerleader. So I have some flexibility. This is good. You know, I like this. (laughs) 
But sitting and doing nothing and being with my thoughts, that was frightening. And I feel like the things that we resist are what we need the most. So yeah, of course, yoga practice was like, yeah, that was my first foray into any kind of a mindfulness practice. But what I've said and what I encourage people is take the barriers away. So whatever you think it needs to look like, we start to take away these should. I should be sitting down for 20 minutes a day. I should Mm -hmm. be sitting cross-legged. It should look like this. I should not have any thoughts. I mean, the reality is there is absolutely zero way. And I don't care if you've been a meditator your entire life that you can stop the thoughts. It's just impossible. That is our brain's job to think Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So throwing that out the window, I often tell people right away, it is not something to be good or bad at. It's just something you do consistently. You show up and really you're not doing anything. So you're just showing up. I say, I tricked myself in saying, okay, I want to start a daily meditation practice. So I'm just going to lay in my bed for five minutes before I look at my phone in the morning. Everyone listening could probably find those five minutes before they look at their phone. Because the reality is our iPhones tell us on Sunday how many hours a day we spend scrolling <laughs> Instagram and social media and on our text messages. And it's frightening, alarming amount of yeah. time. So I did that for, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks. And I was like, okay, now I'm just going to sit in my bed for five minutes before I look at my phone. And then you could see how that went. And then I transitioned and I'm going to actually get out of the bed and I'm going <laughs> to sit over here in this chair in my room. And I increased it a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And eventually I got out of bed and I came down and I do my formal meditation practice. And that's what works for me. But you have to kind of find, and it's a consistency. I mean, I think you talk about that all the time, Dom. Don't do it 30 minutes on the weekends once or every, when you're feeling, no, come on, show up for yourself. I encourage people, if you're in carpool, if you're in, obviously don't close your eyes if you're driving, but if you're in carpool, (laughs) I had a wonderful meditation teacher that also was giving me these little tricks and he told me to pick a color. And so I picked yellow and he's like, okay, every time you see yellow when you're driving, it's this reminder to be mindful, to be Mm. present. Well, I'm picking yellow. I'm thinking, oh, when am I going to see yellow? Well, everywhere. It's like all the lines on the street, (laughs) the street signs everywhere. Your senses are heightened. You're aware. You're present. I'm sure a lot of people listening, I've driven places. Don't know how I got there. Don't remember even driving there. It was totally caught in Mm -hmm. my head. And so these little kind of tools and tricks of take all the barriers away, take all of the restrictions away. It doesn't need to be or do or look a certain way. Be comfortable. If you can't sit up, lie down. Yeah. Put pillows over yourself. Get comfy. Is there a ancient way and some science behind sitting with an upright spine? But if that's going to preclude you from actually doing a meditation practice, throw that out the window. Do what works. Again, it's just that consistency. So for mm-hmm. me, it was first thing in the morning because I do my movement first thing in the morning. I don't schedule any of my meetings till later in the day because I have to have that time for myself mm-hmm. and it's just non-negotiable. And doing that in the morning, before we pick up our phone. And it was kind of like a little reward. I was like, okay, I'm going to lay here for a few minutes before I pick up my phone. And then it's a reward that I can scroll social media. I love all those tips I was writing as you were talking, just like to sum everything up. I think that you gave some really great tips, especially for people that are new to meditation or might be trying to go back to meditation. And I always tell people too, that if you think about going to the gym for the first time or going back to the gym, right? It takes time to build those physical muscles. And we have to think about our mind the same way where the first day or the week or the month that you meditate, I mean, in general, you're going to have thoughts like you said, but those thoughts, your mind is going to be racing because it's 
completely foreign and your mind is used to going. And so the same way that you have to be compassionate with yourself at the gym, with your physical body, you have to do that same thing with your mind. I just want to summarize all the things because I think you said so many amazing things and I was just like, oh, that's really good. So I love taking away the shoulds, taking away the expectation of what you think it should be and just allowing it to be what it is. You said it is not something to be good or bad. And I think society tells us, right, I have to be good at this. Like we're so used to just from school and conditioning and programming, like we're so used to attempting at everything to be perfect at it. And so when we don't nail something or it doesn't go the way that we think it should go, we feel a way about it. So I love that. It's just what it is. You said start with five minutes laying in bed, which I thought was really genius because again, getting out of bed or waking up at a certain time can be a barrier for a lot of people. So I love the ease of just like easing into it in bed, right? And letting that be the start to the process. Increasing the time incrementally, I agree with totally. I think again, especially as overachievers that are listening to this, maybe I'm just talking to myself. Whenever I start something new, it's either zero or 100. There's no in between. And I've had to like learn how to scale that back of like, okay, maybe it isn't good to start with like a 45 minute meditation if this is new to me or 30 minutes. So I love the idea of maybe adding on a minute or two minutes as you go. And then the picking a color while driving just for present moment awareness, I thought was really beautiful. I was like, hmm, I'm going to try that and see how that goes. But awesome tips. I agree with all of them. And I think that they're really great for folks that are listening and thinking like, where do I start with this? What are your thoughts on using something like an app versus just kind of sitting in silence? Yeah, I think it's depending on the person and it's also depending Mm -hmm. on the day. I don't know. I have insight timer. I love it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I want to listen to someone's beautiful voice and to guide me with some really empathic words and just kind of hold me in that space. And sometimes I just want to sit here and see what's going on. I just want to sit with myself. And sometimes for me, when I don't have the energy to sit with myself, Mm because I feel like sometimes that's more challenging, that's when I go to a guided meditation. And again, it's just feeling it out. There are certain people I just instructed a good friend of mine about five minutes every day. And she's like, oh, I can sit and do nothing. I said, great. Mm. Then start with that. Mm. If that's where you can lie and that feels good for you. I said to her, we become this witness, this observer, this Mm. compassionate observer. And I said, the key is when you find yourself trailing off to a thought, you just, I kind of come to this of going in and I just want to watch my thought and just be like curious about it. That's interesting. I do that when I find myself trailing off into some kind of, oh, you're not good enough imposter syndrome reel that I've attached onto. And I just take a step back. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Maybe there's something else going on. We just start to look at our thought, not as a part of ourselves, but with curiosity. I mean, we're not the body, we're not the mind. It's kind of its own deal, right? <laughs> it's the more that we start to look at these things. I mean, how many of us have driven our car, maybe with our children, you're like, what if I just hit this guardrail right there? And then all of a sudden the guilt comes in. You're like, oh, you're such a horrible person. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's just a thought. It doesn't say anything about you as a person. You're just curious, like, wow, that was kind of crazy thought. I can't believe that came in. And then you just let it go and you move on. So outside of the obviously being more mindful and present, what are some ways that you would say that meditation has helped you over the years? Benefits? Yeah, it's awareness. Mm -hmm. It gives me awareness. And sometimes it's awareness of my needs. Sometimes it's awareness of the needs of others around me. Sometimes it's the awareness of my habits, my pattern and my reaction when I'm in fight or flight. And that awareness piece, I call it like this yogic pause. It gives me this Mm -hmm. microsecond 
to then choose how I want to proceed. Do I want to attach on that thought? Do I want to proceed with that action? Do Does someone need something of me? Do I need something of myself? And again, it's a practice. We come back to this word time and time again, yoga, meditation, mindfulness. It's a practice. It's not perfection. There's no mastery of skill that we continue to work this muscle. And the awareness practice that comes is a muscle that we build and all of a sudden aware more often than not, more present more often than not. Or sometimes it's just that piece of catching ourselves when we're not present. And then we have the tools. We're like, oh, I'm coming back. I trailed off. I was gone there for a minute. I was living in my thoughts. I was stuck in the past. I was going to what I have to do later today. And we come back. And I think that's been the beautiful part because in the present is where the joy lives. In our head, in the past or in the future is where the suffering is. And for the first half of my life, it was all suffering. And so when you are able to drop down out of your head into the present moment and you have these moments of awe, of joy, of connection, you're like, wait a minute, give me some more of that. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I would add too that I think as mothers, the pause is so helpful because it's an ongoing process. Like you said, that it's a practice, it's a process. But for me, having that moment before I respond angrily or yell that I'm like, hold on, what do I want to do here? Just that second makes such a difference. So I think for women that are listening that are mothers or even in, I think, professional settings where normally you would just immediately respond and then be like worried about your job or whatever the case is or your partner that millisecond of pausing to choose and really being empowered in that way, it's a game changer for sure. Yeah. yeah and don't get it wrong. Sometimes I pop off on my husband oh, yeah. and my kid. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm still, I'm doubling down on yelling at you because you're getting on my nerves. So I know that I'm doing it most of the time. It's like, yeah, okay. And I still have to come back and repair and apologize. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, mommy didn't show up as her best self. I can do better. What were you trying to say? Because, you know, life, it's frustrating. Being a parent is frustrating. I've got four kids and 21 down to 10 and it's tough. So, you know, if anyone's going to challenge you and test your your patience and test your presence, it'll be your children. For sure. All right. So Mama Four, which is amazing. A wife, you have a career, you run a podcast, and I'm sure that there are so many other things that you do because we talked about just being a doer and recovering overachiever. But one of the things that many women struggle with is how to prioritize themselves and how to do so without feeling guilty. And I know that you're really passionate about taking me time without feeling guilty. So as we begin to wrap up, like what would you say to the woman who is listening, who needs to do a better job of prioritizing herself, but who typically doesn't do that because she feels guilty, right? Like she feels like everyone else has to come before her. What is your message, your words to that woman listening? Yeah, I had this really incredible Buddhist teacher back in my early 20s and we talked about guilt and he had this really great picture. He's like, would you order guilt from a sandwich shop? I'm going to have a meatball sub with a side of guilt. It's this thing that we carry with us, but it's not serving anyone. Mm. It's not serving you as the person who's feeling the guilt and it's not serving the object of your guilt, be it your children or your job or whatever the case may be. And so we start to really kind of look at this emotion of guilt or this feeling. Ask ourselves, is that true? If I work out for 30 minutes this morning and I don't take my kids to school and I let my husband do it, I'm a bad mom. Who says that? Do you believe that? Well, no, not really. So we start to look at these things. Guilt is one that we hold on tight because it's protective, right? We're like, oh, we're a good mother if we feel guilty. And I'm sure somewhere along the line, our mothers, our grandmothers, it we have handed down guilt for generations. 
And we start to look at this as we continue to evolve, as hopefully we do generations as we continue down the line of female energy. And we start to look at this and be like, "Mm, is it serving me? Do I feel better when I carry this guilt? Is it benefiting anyone? And so really starting to look at your relationship with guilt, number one. Number two, I come back to this time and time again. You are the only person that can prioritize you. Just like you are the source of your own happiness or unhappiness, no one else can do it for you. Not your husband, not your partner, not your kids, not your job. Unless you're advocating for yourself and doing that, no one else around you will do that for you. They're not going to respect it. They're not going to know it. They're not going to initiate it. And we look at this part of we want to do and be all things to all people, but we only have so much energy to plug in. And when you look at your tank, when you're running on empty, that's when we're we're not slept, we're not nourished, we're not hydrated, we haven't moved, we haven't taken care of ourselves, we're stressed out. We don't have it to give. That's the time that we're the most reactionary. We're snippy. I mean, talk to me on an insomnia night and I am not happy the next day. I don't have patience for my kids. I don't Mm -hmm. have tolerance for the people at the grocery store line or the email that someone sent snarky. I'm just reactionary. I'm surviving. We start to evaluate that and say, okay, how am I treating myself? Am I prioritizing my sleep? Maybe it's not binging that Netflix show. Am I prioritizing my movement? Whatever that is, dance, a walk, yoga, gentle stretching. It doesn't have to be 60 minutes in the gym, busting out some weights. It doesn't have to be some spin class. It can be whatever you want it to be, whatever feels good in your body and prioritizing my mental health. And again, we look at these things and how we treat ourselves and the longevity of, can we finish this marathon? It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And if we are giving everything we got in this first few miles, we have nothing left for the rest of the race. So we have nothing left for the rest of our lives, for the rest of our anything. We have to look at spreading that out and continuing to refuel. And that's when we come back to checking in our mindfulness, our meditation, any ways that you can check in and take, what do I need in this moment? How am I feeling? Where is my tank? I mean, I literally sometimes visualize my tank, especially when it's empty and being like, all right, something has to change. And I have to ask for it. Mm -hmm. My husband's not going to know. He's not in my body knowing what my tank is like. And he's not evolved enough to ask me how my tank (laughs) is. But it's my responsibility to ask for what I need and to know myself to slow down in that moment enough to be able to even check in so that Mm -hmm. I can't ask for what I need. So good. So two things, self-awareness, I think is extremely important. I think, again, like disassociating from ourselves is so common and so easy that sometimes I give a lot of presentations and facilitations about self-care and burnout. And one of the things that I have the group do is like, how does your body feel when you're at that point of burnout and exhaustion and having them name those feelings? And then like, how do you show up? How are you emotionally? And so you've talked about both of those things. But oftentimes people, I find that we don't realize that we are at window of tolerance or that point of burnout until we're at the 10. And so it's like, how can we learn to stay within that like four to seven safe range and not be at the 10 or the zero? Because sometimes we're at the zero and it's like I have nothing else to give or sometimes we're at the 10 and you're like, I'm so angry and irritable at the world because I'm exhausted. And so I one of the things, again, is that self-awareness piece. How can you start to notice when your body starts to give you those signs and signals? Because our bodies are always communicating to us when we need to take better care of ourselves. But a lot of times we are just not tuned in because we're moving too fast or we're distracted or we're not necessarily, again, self-aware. And so I think that is probably one of the most important pieces of what you said is just building that self-awareness with yourself. Because I'll ask how many times 
times do people feel tired and keep going? And everyone's like, yep. And how many times does it take you to get the headache that won't go away until you sleep that you're finally like, okay, maybe I should rest. And it's like, why do we have to get to that point? So I love that. And then the other thing I think that was important about what you shared was the piece about unlearning the guilt. Like you talked about kind of just things that have been passed out, inheriting guilt. For me, that has been a huge part of my own healing journey is like unlearning a lot of the conditioning around what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a black woman, what it means to be a mom and having to put myself last because I'm a mom or a partner and all of these things. And so really stepping away from the programming and asking yourself what is true for me, what feels good for me, what do I need? Like you said, I think is so, so important. So I love that. Thank you for sharing all of those things. So many gems, so much wisdom. So as we wrap up, is there anything that you are currently working on or you recently finished or just projects in general that you're excited about that you want to share with our listeners today? As of last year, my word of the year was focus and collaboration. Decided mm. to say yes to opportunities mm. and just kind of create a little space for the magic. And I noticed that I started in my meditation doing this mantra, it's abundance, prosperity, and creativity. And then I started to add on and everything works out for me. And when I do this little mantra, a smile comes to my face every time. And I love it. And I can't even say it isn't mine. It's one of those little geniuses on TikTok, young girl that was like, and everything works out for me. And the reality it starts to change things. And I started to see the doors open and I started to see the opportunities come. And I started to take a gamble on myself and put myself in positions to take opportunities and I'm doing business development consulting and I did PR and I'm doing like a jack of all trades. And I'm just like, yeah, I can do that. And that imposter syndrome comes in and be like, no, you can't. Yeah, watch me. I think taking a gamble on yourself and it comes with this moment of just trusting in the process, Mm -hmm. trusting that everything will work out. And it's a really beautiful mantra. And again, I come back to it's not without its ups and downs, but ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, silly things like I thought I lost my bracelet and I found it in my laundry and I was like, oh, sad. And I was like, everything works out. It's not going to always work out, but you know, just continuing this kind of positive attitude and calling the energy to you Mm -hmm. that you want to have for the coming year, for the coming week, even for tomorrow and taking those moments for yourself. We come back to that awareness piece. We come back to that stillness piece, that checking in piece, knowing that you're worthy, trusting in yourself. I mean, these are all these beautiful little gems that I started to really subscribe to. I've been on the other side and it's joyful there and it's happy and it's fun and it's playful and it's restful. And I know what it's like. I wake up and I'm like, oh, that was a good nine hours of sleep I had. And I I started to prioritize these things. And within that, I had to take some good hard looks at my contribution to not feeling great and make some changes, but that comes with awareness. I love that. So for people that want to stay connected and learn more about you and listen to the podcast and read the blog, all things, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to be recording season five of the Zen-ish Mommy podcast. Super excited about that. I give out two episodes every week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I do an incredible conversation with amazing guests like you, Dom. Mm -hmm. And I also give out a weekly mindfulness or meditation tip or breathwork tool um, that are these little bite-sized snippets, five to seven minutes or even less sometimes that you can kind of create your own stress-relieving toolbox. And Zen-ish Mommy podcast is everywhere you're listening to podcasts and you can find me at thezenmommy.com or at Instagram at the underscore Zen underscore mommy. I love that. So my final question for you that I ask all of my guests, I believe that life is our biggest teacher. Please share what one major lesson is that you've learned that you want to leave with our listeners today. I think that come back to that joy in the present. I mean, that's, I come back to this all the time. And my mom used to ask me, have you ever felt free floating happiness for no reason? 
So don't miss these moments of awe are present. And they can be little when you're looking at your child. And I was looking at my 14-year-old daughter the other day and I was just, I saw her face when she was three and it just, I got flooded with those memories. And it's just little gems of like, don't miss out on the little moment, that little joyful moment. And that's what makes the world go round. That's what feels good. Whether it's you're on a walk and you're just a beautiful leaf or the way that the clouds are moving in the sky. And if we're aware to these things, if present to that, life becomes really beautiful. What a beautiful way to end this episode. I'm like smiling from ear to ear after listening to that. That was so beautiful. Such a perfect way to end. Jessica, I want to thank you for joining me today and just bringing your whole self and all of your joy and wisdom and your lived experience and authenticity to today's conversation. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the School of Healing today. Thanks for having me. It was such a joy, Dom. I appreciate it. Beautiful. So for everyone that tuned in, thank you all for joining us and listening to today's session. I am going to leave you the same way that I leave you after every episode. I want to remind you to keep releasing, keep reconnecting and keep remembering until the next time we are together again. School's out. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The School of Healing. You can check out the show notes to connect and learn more about any resources that were mentioned today. If you're on Instagram, let me know what resonated with you. Take a screenshot, share it in your stories, and tag me so that we can stay connected. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, that's okay too.